Turn with me, if you would, this morning to Romans chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 8 through verse 15. Hear now God's Word. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my whole spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you that I might impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant. Brethren, that I oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was not let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. Lord, again, we do thank you for your goodness and mercy to us. We thank you for Christ Jesus who died for us, that we have peace with God and the peace of God within our souls. Now, keep us Help us to be like Paul, Lord, always seeking to proclaim the gospel in word and deed that we might cause the world to ask the hope is in us. And we ask Jesus' name. Amen. Again, this morning as we continue on now, remember we've been talking early about Paul as he's opened the book. He spoke of himself as a servant, a slave of God. He is one who's been separated from the world to the gospel. He's an apostle who's been sent with a commission to proclaim the words of his master. He speaks as though his master is there, and the master speaks and sends his son as though he is the master speaking through him. And so his words are God's words, God's words are his. And so now he goes to proclaim the gospel. The gospel concerns Jesus Christ. His very Son, who has come to save men of every kindred and tongue and nation. He's the Lamb of God that John the Baptist preached about in John chapter 1. And so he's declaring the Son in His righteousness to us. That we are saved by faith of Jesus Christ. That which again is of Him, which belonged to Him, through Him and to Him. And He is the Savior. And now notice Paul is looking to go to Rome. As he's writing this book, he's thinking at this point about going to Rome. He's making plans. And he says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God. He looks upon them as being believers. They are the elect of God. As he says, the call to be saints. And now he proclaims them a blessing to them. Again, may the grace of God and the peace of God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ be upon you. Now, that's what he's talking about when he opens this book. This is part of his introduction to the book. And so now in verses 8 through verse 15, he's going to again tell us of his coming there, what his desires, what his will is, and reasons for coming to Rome. And so he wants to go there, and he says, first of all, 
I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Now, remember that in Rome, Rome was the center of the empire. We might say, in a, in a philosophical way, it was the center of the universe. It was there that everything came through. Rome was the center of government, of commerce. It was the center of culture. And, and again, of the military. It was there where the throne of the Caesars were. It was there where the Senate was. And so it was an amazing place. No place on earth like it. And it had a great public form in which Paul could go and proclaim things to the world. And so now he's coming there. He's coming to preach, but he's also writing his word. Remember, this is the seventh book, I believe, that Paul has written as he's addressing Rome. And he's writing this book now before he comes. It is the word of God. It's part of the canon of Scripture. It's God's word to us. It was God's word to them as he proclaims it and writes it down. And so now he's coming and he's laying forth an apologetic. Remember, an apologetic is not saying I'm sorry. An apologetic is literally a defense of what you believe. And Christ is giving to them an orderly, a concise, a logical and purposeful apologetic. Something that they could hold in their hands and read it and look at His Word and memorize it and look at it and be able to use it in their conversations with the world. And so He says, again, this is it. We have to remember also the, what we know because we know the history of it. Within four years of this book being finished, the Romans will now begin to turn on the Christians, the citizenry, because Nero the king has burned Rome and he's blaming it on the Christians and convincing the people that they need to go after the Christians. And so one of the greatest persecutions of the early church now begins after Paul leaves from Rome. And so now as we see all that's going to happen, now his motivation, what is it? First of all, as we said, he's thankful. I thank my God that you're there. I thank my God His grace has shown upon you. And remember, this church was not a church that Paul had founded. No apostle, as far as we know, had anything to do with the founding of this church. It was men probably converted at Pentecost. Possibly stayed there in Jerusalem and learned from the apostles, which Paul was not a part of at that time. And so they've begun a church, and now Paul is not going there to say, well, you need an apostle to come check you out and tell you where you're wrong and right and, and all these things. He's not saying that. He says, your faith is known all over the world. And he's thankful for that, remember. He says, he thanks God that you are spoken of, your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Here's that little word whole. Now, does whole mean every single individual? When he says the whole world? No, it doesn't. It's speaking about the world as those who have heard it, men of every kindred and tongue and nation. And we would say all the cities and all the places in Asia Minor and in, in Greece and in Europe and on past and all those places that have heard the gospel. He said that's the whole world. That's what he's using here. And so there's no place in the empire that you haven't been heard of probably. 
in that sense because the gospel has all of a sudden begun to explode and the nations are beginning to hear little by little and more by more of the gospel of Christ as Paul and the other apostles go out into it. And so now he says, first of all, I'm thankful. Here's the question, are you thankful? See, Paul tells us in the chapter 2 when he's talking about the wickedness of men and how, how corrupt man and God's wrath is against them. And he says, who are not thankful. The world without God are not thankful. We look at a world today who is not thankful. What are we thankful for? A person who's thankful wants to live. He wants to participate in life. And so again, we have to look at it, what Paul said. The Christian's life is one of thankfulness. Are you thankful? If you're a Christian, you understand or should know that all men are sinners. And if they're not Christian, they are on their way to an eternal judgment under the wrath of the righteous, holy God, whose glory has been affronted by them. God is angry with the wicked every day. That's your first point of of thankfulness. You know God and God knows you. He has chosen you before the foundation of the world and done something for you that no one could do for themselves. He's come to you like He came to Adam and Eve in the garden. Like He came to Abraham when His father and His family were all in Himself, all pagans, worshiping dumb idols, and brought them to Himself. Be thankful. And so he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, for your faith that is known throughout the whole world. Now he's going to begin into his his talking to them about coming. He says, now, for God is my witness. He now is actually taking an oath. I'm telling you before God that I have purposed, I have desired to come to you again by God whom I serve now again the little word here serve is not the word that we get our word deacon or slave or or servant it's a word that is used most of the times in scripture having to do with the worship of God in the Septuagint remember it's the Hebrew word and it's written in Greek so they have a Greek Bible Christ quotes from it so we see it is the authorized version God counts it as being his word And it's that word, and then when we read it in Scripture, it generally has to do with some reflection on the work of the priest who work in the temple or were working under Moses in the tabernacle. They did their service, remember? They had to clean the the temple. They had to make sure everything was in order for the worship of God, and their duty was to prepare for continual worship before God for every day, they had to do their work and clean themselves, wash themselves, do all this preparation. Then they would slay animals all day. Again, a picture of our salvation by means of a sacrifice, a substituted sacrifice for our sins. That was their work. But it was not just physical. They were to bring prayers to God, songs, hymns they were to do many spiritual things in their life as they looked toward God always seeking to bring glory to God in their work that's carried over now by Paul to you and I 
Our service to God, our worship to God is, again, prayer. It's bringing glory and honor to Him in everything that we do. Whatsoever our hands find to do as the priest in the temple brought everything to God for His glory, we bring ours to God's glory. That's part of our worship. Yes, we still have our external worship. We come to worship as God people. We bring ourselves into the house of God to worship here, specifically to look up to Him and read His Word and pray and sing unto Him. But it's also that internal worship. Where is your heart? This is where Paul is, is talking about. He says, I serve with my spirit. And that little word, my spirit, is, is generally most commentators think. It's, it's the idea of his heart. It's coming from his body and soul inside him outward. He not only proclaims the outward gospel like the priest carrying on in the tabernacle and, and temple, but it's also coming from his soul inside. And so he's, his spot, and he's bringing the gospel of the Son. It's the good news of the Son because the Son's proclaiming to the world, I have given myself for sin. I have died. I've shed my blood for those who trust in me. Those that the Father has given to me. And now notice again this situation. We do not know who the elect are. They do not know who they are until God by His Spirit opens their heart and makes them alive to believe. As Charles Spurgeon said, we can't go out and say, if you believe in election, say, well, I'll, I'll find everybody's got an E written on their back or in their front. So we'll know who the elect are. No, we don't. That's why God says, you go out and proclaim the gospel to every kindred tongue and nation of people. Proclaim and command them. He doesn't say ask them, invite them. You call them and command them to believe. That's what Paul said. That's my service. That's my duty as a soldier of Christ, as an apostle sent to proclaim His Word to the world. And he says, now, I serve God with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Now, Paul gives us a little bit more information. He's a man of prayer, therefore we ought to be men of prayer. Paul's example is Christ. Our example is Christ. And our example also, as Paul says later on, follow me as I follow Christ. He was a man of prayer. We ought to be men of prayer. That doesn't mean we have to always be on our knees, but we ought to have a prayerful attitude always. You can be driving along and pray, praying with your eyes open. Don't drive praying with your closed eyes. You're always thinking and meditating on things of, of God. As you think about your family, your children, your work, your friends. As you go in this world and you see how mixed up and how how crazy man is. Sin has made him illogical. It's corrupted his mind. We need to pray for those people that we might be able somehow by God's Spirit to awaken them through the preaching and proclamation of the Word because that's the only way they can be saved. When God's Holy Spirit through His Word opens their heart. And so he says again, Every time I'm praying, now notice it does not say, he says, I make mention of you continually. Some people have a problem, they stop there and say, how can he pray? How can he always be thinking about them? That's not what it's saying. 
He's saying, when I pray, I never pray without mentioning you and thanking God for the church at Rome whom God has planted even without any of the apostles. I think he's telling something to us and to the apostles. You know, the apostles were called and they were the foundation of the covenant of God, the new covenant church. They actually wrote the words by which, again, we are bound now. The canon of Scripture is closed. The Old Covenant and New Covenant, the Old Testament and New Testament are one book. The Old Testament tells us of His coming. It proclaims that God is sending His Son. Now the Son in the New Covenant, God has come. He sent His Son. And now He has sent His Word not to Jerusalem alone, but to the rest of the world. And now we are commanded to believe. Paul says, Now making request of you that by any means, now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come to you. See, he's looking to come, but now notice also, Paul also understands the will of God. He says, I might come unto you by the will of God. He understands that he can do nothing that's outside the will of God, but yet though he himself can have desires, he himself can make plans, but he understands man can make plans, but the disposing is of God. How many people make plans that never come to fruition? Paul understands God is in control. He's made his desires known. His will is to come to Rome. He's doing everything he can do to get there. But so far, it hasn't happened. And this is the whole thing. He says, but it's the will of God. This is how we have to think. Lord, not my will, but your will. Like Jesus Christ came to do the will of his Father. We have come to do the will of of our Father. Because He has saved us, we are thankful people, therefore we say, we want to glorify our God in heaven by doing His will. Make us willing. And so now, as Paul is wanting to come to them, he actually lets them know that he's trying to do, and he's praying that it is the will of God that He come. He believes that it is, And so he wants to come to them. He says, For I long to see you. This is part of that interpersonal thing of power. He says, I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. That's his desire. He's not coming to say, I'm the apostle now. I'm coming and you're going to receive all these good things from me. No, he says, I'm coming that I might impart unto you spiritual gifts and blessings. And he kind of defines them. He says, I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. Not as though he's boasting. He's not like a grandfather who comes to give his grandson some money. So his grandson will like him more. No, this is coming from his heart. He says, I'm coming, hopefully, that I will be able to bring a spiritual gift to you. And he says, to the end. This is for the purpose that you may be established. This church is already established. 
But at the same time, we all as individuals of local churches, we might say we have been established as a group. Still, there are many things that we need of as Christians. And God uses other Christians to bless other Christians that we might be a blessing to them and establish them even more. And this is what Paul says. He says, that is, I'm going to establish them. I want to be a blessing to them. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith of both of us. In other words, Paul has never been with them. He's heard about them. He's heard other churches talk about their faith. And he has a desire. He said, I would like to go there and meet those people that I might receive a blessing that they have. And because they have not had an apostle, I want to understand how God has worked with them without the apostles. Not boasting about the apostleship, but God has a way that is different from man's. When God calls, man believes, whether there's a man around or not. He brings the Word. He brings the Spirit who makes him alive. We don't have to think about that we are the ones who must do it or it's not going to get done. God is in control and God saves people. This is what he's saying. But that we might be comforted together. Comfort together. The Comforter has come. Remember? Christ says, I must leave so the Comforter will come. Again, it's that word. We comfort one another in our sorrows, but also in our blessings. And so Paul is looking at this situation. He will be blessed, they will be blessed, and their hearts will be set on fire together. Have you ever had somebody come to you? You haven't known. Let's say a visiting minister or a visitor. And you begin to talk and all of a sudden you begin to feel this camaraderie by both of you. There's something there that draws you and you're comforted in Christ together. He says, Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you. There's that one. He was going and abiding by the will of God. And so he's giving a little bit of providence of God here. He says, There's often I have literally wondered when I'm coming, and I have purposed to come to you. It's been a positive part of my life. I've prayed, Lord, I want to go there. I'm going there, if it's your will, and I'm planning to go there. But now notice, he puts this little word, he says, I have purposed it, I've purposed to come. I've made my mind up. I'm coming to Rome. He says, but was let hitherto. Now that little word let here means hindered. When a man is hindered, it's God's work in him to stop him from doing something or slowing it down, not necessarily stopping it. Paul says, I have planned on it. I've made plans to come. And God, in His providential care of me, has stopped me from coming to you. This is how He's coming here to talk with those people. He says, God has hindered me from coming that I might have fruit among you. That's what we all are. God says we've been saved and we've been chosen unto good works. Good works are fruit. And it doesn't necessarily mean how many people have you called and invited to Christ and and called to believe and how many people have been saved through you. We've got this idea 
that somehow that's the only fruit. I grew up thinking, well, if I'm going to be a good Christian, I've got to go get people saved. That's not it. God says you're just to be faithful wherever you are. If God's called you to be a housewife or a plumber or a carpenter or a farmer or a doctor, you name it, you do that unto God, that brings forth fruit. Martin Luther was asked one time, if you knew God was coming tomorrow and you had planned to plant a tree today, what would you do? Now, they were expecting him to say, well, I would just be out going door to door asking people and giving them the gospel tell them God's coming, you need to get saved. Now, he says, if I knew the Lord was coming tomorrow and I was going to plant a tree today, I would plant a tree today. What he was saying, all I do is to the glory of God. God is the one who saves, not me. And God has called me to live a certain way in this world. Everybody lives in the world. There's things you've got to do as being human and living in this world. Your goal and your call is to be faithful to those callings. Not to escape by using those, but at the same time, use all things and do all things. So if you've been called, that's what you're called to do. And so again, this is what Paul is saying here in this idea. The fruit there again is to be fellowshipping with them in Christ. And now notice, he says, among you even as among the other Gentiles. Now remember, Paul was called to the Gentiles. When he was converted on the, on the Damascus road, he was on his way to Damascus to arrest Jews who had fled there for safety and bring them back to try them. He was again going into the world for the wrong reason. But now God has called him, as it were, on the Damascus roads to go to Damascus to take the gospel. To go to Rome to take the gospel. No matter where he's at, but on the way to Rome, he's got to go through all these other cities and nations. He's there again as he's going. He's begin, He's been a church planner. He's been a man who called men to Christ. He's taught them what the gospel is and how they are to live in a God-cursed world. And so he says again, I am, as he's talking about, God's called me to the Gentiles and that's where I've got to go first. Rome is a Gentile city. The church is probably has Jews and Gentiles in it. Many slaves. Many Romans. And so again, as he's going to this church, however, he says, but God, as He's called me to the Gentiles, He says, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. In other words, what Paul said, he says, I've got an obligation. When God gives me an obligation, I'm a debtor to the people that I have an obligation to. He says, I have an obligation given me by God to go to the Gentiles. And now notice how he breaks them up. Now remember, and there are a couple other places where he'll put the Gentiles and the Greeks together with the Jews. But Paul, here in Romans, for the most part, he's bringing a division between the Jew and the Greek. 
Because God first called the Jews, but the Jews have turned away. And he and Barnabas were preaching among them. And remember, the Jews beat him, stoned him. And finally, he says, I turn from you and I go to the Gentiles. That was God's calling. So how God worked with Paul to, to separate him from the Jews. And he becomes the apostle, the only apostle called specifically to the Gentiles. He's the only one now, we would say, he's the one who brought about the destruction of the Roman Empire and the centralizing of the church in Rome later on. Because he's called, build churches all through Asia, Asia Minor, Greece, Europe. All these churches are now the, the beginnings of his work among the Gentiles. But now again, he says, so I am debtor. I have an obligation to the Gentiles. But now notice how he breaks it down. He says, first of all, I am debtor both to the Greeks and the barbarians. He's not saying the Greeks are somehow better than the barbarians, but that was a division that was true in that day and time. The Greeks remember, were conquered by Rome. And there's a saying that says, Rome, in conquering the Greeks, became Greek. Because somehow the Romans fell in love with the Greek system. Their culture, their literature, even their building and establishing everything in their society was kind of taken over by the Greeks. And now if you were a Greek, you were called wise. Remember, he says, the Jews seek after a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom. The language of the Greek was a worldwide language, but there were many people in the Roman Empire who did not speak Greek. Now see, and one of the things is if you were Greek, you were considered to be the highest level of the Gentiles. You were a man of wisdom. You had what it took to be accepted among the well, they would say the higher levels. The Greeks. The whole New Testament was written in Greek. Possible exception maybe was Matthew. Jesus and the apostles spoke Greek and Hebrew. In their lives around, it appears they always spoke Greek. The Old Testament was, again, translated from the Hebrew into the Greek because the Hebrew language was being lost by the Jews. Jesus and the apostles often in the New Testament quote from the Septuagint, which means God accounted it as an acceptable, authoritative Bible, the Word of God. And so now, as the Greeks could begin to hear the Scripture, okay, through that they could hear the Scripture too, even the Old Testament. And so now the Greeks are level. But now when it comes to the barbarian, notice the last phrase of that sentence, both to the wise and the unwise. The wise were considered to be Greek. Those who could not speak Greek and those who were not part of the system in that sense, they hadn't joined into the, the Hellenization of the culture, they were called barbarians. It didn't necessarily mean they were... Uh, remember the Scythians that he talks about, I believe it's in Ephesians. See, they were barbarians, but I mean, they were barbarians of the barbarians. Remember, when they conquered nations, they killed the people, cut their heads off, and used their skulls to make cups to drink water out of, or wine out of. 
but the barbarians here are considered those people. They're crude. They can't speak the language, so we kind of don't pay too much attention to them. That's what he's saying. Paul says, no, I'm cutting away all the walls of separation between anything that man does. It doesn't matter if he lives in the jungles and can't speak the language. My calling is to go to him if God sends me. This is where Paul is coming from. He says, I'm a debtor. I am in debt to them because God has called me to take the message of the gospel, that is of Jesus Christ, to them. That's my calling. And I'm indebted to God for that. He's called me out and sent me to them. And so now he says, and so as much as, as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. And I think he's looking beyond the church. He wants to meet that church. That church is a church that's working and doing things in the Roman Empire and growing, and they're bringing men into the church and the kingdom of God daily. But now Paul also looks, again, the church can do so much and he can do so much. So now this is a place now that God has not called him because he's an apostle and he, and he wants to teach this church through Paul. It's already got a foundation. Paul says, I'm not going where there's already a foundation laid that another man has already started. I want to be a blessing to all and I'm coming to Rome and, and I will use the situation to go outside the church now and compete with the world. To face off with the world. And preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in places. And again, Rome was a, a city of over a million, million and a half people. And so he says, I can go there and I can, I'm going to proclaim the gospel everywhere I can go. Now remember, Paul will go back to Rome after he leaves. He goes twice to Rome. Twice as he's a prisoner. The first time he's a prisoner, he basically lives off of the Roman Empire. He's arrested. He's got a cell. He's got a servant or a soldier who follows him around town. And at night he comes back to his cell, which would be like coming back to his, his motel room. Only he has a guard with him. But he's free to go everywhere. The church comes in and builds with him and blesses him and gives him food and everything he needs. Everything's, but now the second time, he doesn't get very far. He has to live in a cell, chained in the cell, and then finally he has his head chopped off. That's Paul. But now I notice he says, and as much as in me is, I am ready. I'm ready, willing, and able, and I'm going to Rome, and I am going to proclaim the gospel to these dead Romans. Men of every kindred, tongue, and nation that are in that city. Half of the people that were there were literally slaves owned by other people of Rome, particularly the Greeks. There were Jews who owned slaves. And all those slaves got the gospel preached to them. And so again, Paul was not backing off. He didn't say, well, that's slave and I don't want to be seen with him. Or this man's a... Something as I'd like to see, but everybody see me go up to here talking to this man who's something in society. No, Paul didn't believe because all men were equal to him, and they were all equally lost in their sin, 
and they were made in the image of God, and therefore the gospel should be preached to them. That's what Paul is telling us. And so again, this morning, who are you? What's God called you to do? See, God hasn't called everybody to be a preacher, a preacher's wife, working in the church, you know, officially, so you, you can go out and say, I work for the church. No, God's called everybody to work for those, again, who live in the world and call men to Him in everything you do. And that doesn't mean necessarily you have to be out there passing out tracts, talking to people every day about the Christ. You should be open and be so free with your gospel that you have been overtaken that people see you. And Peter tells us, be ready to give an answer of the hope that is in you with fear and trembling. See, the point that Peter brings is, if you're living the gospel, people see you. We have a gospel that goes forth which we should be people who are thankful, which means we are not dour. We're not always going down looking like an old hound dog with the, the, your jaws drop down and everything so bad. We should be people who at least, even in the midst of our sorrows, can at least be Christians with the comfort and the peacefulness that God's in control. And the world sees that. The world cannot handle anything that goes wrong for the most part. That's why we have so much suicide in our nation. So many drugs, 100,000, 110,000 people last year died from fentanyl. So again, where are we? We have to live for the world, have a sense of urgency to call them to Christ, to live before them, to cause them to ask the question of the hope is in it, and then be able to Again, answer that question. Who are you? What are you? As we go into the world. And Paul will show us the world starting next week. Lord, again, we thank you for your goodness and mercy and your grace. Bless us today in Jesus' name. Amen.